0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Ariel Frame.
1: And I'm your co-host, Yusuf.
0: And today, we have a guest from the History Department, Master's Student in History, Danielle McLennan. Welcome.
2: Hi, thank you for having me on. Uh,
0: Thanks for coming on. Um, This is a very good time to have you. We're in between kind of uh presidencies in terms of american politics and um my understanding is this is uh really pertinent to your work so why don't you tell us what what are you working on
2: right so my master's project focuses on the new york times publishing of the pentagon the pentagon papers in 1971 so the pentagon papers um there were a study actually commissioned by robert mcnamara the secretary of defense so he commissioned um, Uh, a study of U.S. decision-making in Vietnam in 1967. Um, And he contracted this out to the Rand Corporation, um, which is kind of like a think tank slash weird game theory organization in California. So Rand is, you know, working on the Pentagon Papers and a man named Daniel Ellsberg, um, he actually is working on, you know, writing some of the history of U.S. involvement in Vietnam. And then that study was completed in 1969, but Daniel Ellsberg could actually um, become pretty disillusioned with the, with the war in Vietnam. And so in 1971, he actually leaked this classified study. Well, first he uh, photocopied all like how many of a thousand pages of it there were. And then he leaked it to some newspapers in the United States, including the New York Times. So the Times printed their first story about these classified papers in June of 1971, wow. and it was a pretty big yeah, it was a pretty big deal because it basically basically showed all these uh, secret bombing campaigns uh, that the U.S. had been participating in that the mainstream media had not been covering. And you know, this study implicated presidents going back to like Eisenhower, so it was a big deal.
0: Can you may- wow. maybe set the stage for us a little bit? Like, what was the Debate about the war in Vietnam at the time, like what were they even fighting for and what did people think they were fighting for? What was the deal with the war in Vietnam um, in terms of American politics at the time?
2: Right. So uh, I guess the U.S. started, you know, they entered Vietnam um, with the intent of containing communism. So containing this sort of communism from China. Um, And so that was kind of, you know, their reasoning for going into Vietnam. But uh, the U.S. couldn't really win this war. Um, the the, the guerrilla forces in Vietnam, well, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong, uh, you know, they were, they were pretty good opponents for the U.S. And a lot of people felt that they shouldn't be there not only because the U.S. couldn't win, but because it was an unjust war. So mm-hmm. a large part of the anti-war movement was people saying, you know, why are we sending young men off, you know, who are getting drafted to Vietnam for a war that, you know, we don't believe is just. Um, you know, the the issue of communism wasn't, you know, it wasn't affecting most people in the US, right? They weren't thinking, oh yeah, we need to stop, you know, uh, this spread sort of communism in a country so foreign to us, right? Um, and they saw, I guess, the the war taking place on television you know this is the first war you could watch on tv um and you know you would hear about different atrocities uh being committed by u.s soldiers in vietnam so there was a really big um, moral reasoning for wanting the u.s to pull out
1: wow well before we delve into this a lot more um i was wondering if you want to share how you came to be interested in what you're doing right now so for example uh what were you studying in your undergrad studies
2: Right. So I was actually studying a very similar topic in my undergrad. So mm-hmm. in the last year of yeah, in the last year of my undergrad, I wrote a thesis on the Washington Post coverage of Watergate. So um, the Watergate scandal it encompasses quite a few things. Uh, but basically, it was uh, President Richard Nixon and uh, his cronies around him, people in his administration, doing some really illegal things. So there was illegal wiretapping. Um, there was illegal burglaries. And then, well, yeah, the most notable incident of Watergate was the, the break-in into the Democratic National Committee's headquarters in D.C. in the Watergate complex. Um, and then, so the Washington Post uh, started, you know, covering this break-in and they actually uh, traced its connections back to the White House and back to President Nixon, so which wait, just, eventually just to, led to him. Designing. Just one,
0: one step back. Um, so who is the Democratic National Committee to, to Nixon? Why do you do that?
2: So Nixon was running for re-election, um, and he was up against well, of course, the Democratic Party. So Richard Nixon was a member of the Republican Party. So um, he, I guess, uh, well, there was people connected with his campaign, his re-election campaign, who broke in um, into the into the Democrat the Democratic National Committee's headquarters. Um, It seemed like they, you know, wanted to wiretap the office. Um, They had been uh, actually doing a series of smear campaigns against different people running in the Democratic primary for president. Mm -hmm. So um, it was interesting, though, because Nixon didn't really have to worry about being reelected. He was actually doing pretty good in the polls. But this was evidence of, you know, his paranoia.
1: Wow. So who, who was running potentially against him?
2: George McGovern. Yeah.
0: So, and it seems, it seems like this is, um, this seems like, I feel like if I heard this story now, I'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, that's not, I'm not surprised at all. Like these shenanigans mm-hmm. of like, Oh, we got to smear so-and-so and we got to have this campaign to like get these people on this side and, and trying to convince this. And this was just an effort to get more information uh, for that endeavor. Um, um, is it changed? Has it, has it changed much? I mean, what was the impact, um, then of this of Watergate and and, and what do we learn I mean what did Americans learn from that now like mm-hmm.
2: so the impact at the time was I mean of course these shady goings-on have been happening with the presidency basically since America's founding you could argue um but what was I mean what was really impactful at the time was just the series of revelations about how mu- how much illegal activity uh, Nixon and his campaign and administration have been partaking in? Um, so that was it was particularly revealing because it was being reported in the press, right? Uh, publications like the Washington Post were printing stuff about this. But then also a number of Republicans actually stood up to Richard Nixon, a, you know, a man in their own party, uh, stood up against him and basically said, you know, it's it's time to leave. There's no way you can continue on in office. Um, there is a really big, you know, there is still some morality, right, around, mm-hmm. um, around I guess, having a president with some veneer of integrity, right, um, which had been completely lost because Richard Nixon actually installed um, a taping system in the Oval Office. So, you know, there's all these recordings of uh, conversations he'd been having uh, with people in his administration. And, you know, you got to hear uh, some pretty interesting things there. But basically, that's when, you know, he, um, you know, there's the smoking gun tape, where he basically admits to knowing about the Watergate break-in. And so, you know, when that was revealed uh, in the hearing surrounding uh, the case, uh, many Americans were shocked, right, that they heard a president, you know, so blatantly admit to, to being associated with this illegal activity. But, you know, now the impact of something like this, it's not nearly as big, right? We don't have, um, functioning institutions in the United States anymore. Right. Uh, the, the journalism in this industry in the U S is faltering, right. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's layoffs all the times. Uh, but then there's also issues with, um, government integrity, right. You don't hear about large swaths of Republicans standing up to president Trump when, you know, he does something that is blatantly, you know, illegal. It would seem illegal, which you know, you when you're president, right? You can evade the law, right? Uh, you have this presidential privilege where you can't, you know, go to jail when you're in in office. But still, you know, Republicans could call him out or um, at least stand up to him in some way. But that just doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, and that's really fascinating. I mean, I was thinking about Trump a lot when you were talking about Nixon, and there's so much to learn from what has happened. I was wondering. Um, I mean, someone like Nixon knew that he had to resign or be impeached. But now things, as you pointed out, are rather different. Whatever you were describing is like a regular Tuesday in American politics. So what has changed since then and now? And what does the future look like now?
2: Well, yeah, so what has changed? Um, I mean, you could... Yeah. So I guess you could talk about just kind of a decline in the integrity of American institutions, which I think, you know, was in process before, like Nixon even. Um, but specifically, you know, looking at Trump, and, you know, how did something like this happen? I really think you could uh, pinpoint this change um, with the presidency and maybe even its relationship with the media. So you know, you know, increasing with Nixon, but I'm really in the 90s, uh, you know, with, uh, with Clinton. And then afterwards, there's kind of, you know, there, there's presidents that have this veneer of integrity, right? Uh, but then with Clinton, right, you have different scandals, not just sexual scandals, but there is financial scandals as well. Um, and even, you know, with Ronald Reagan, there is Iran-Contra, different scandals. Uh, but we're just getting used to having these things happening, right? Uh, whereas before they were more hidden, maybe, or weren't reported as well. But then now, you know, we have all these scandals happening um, with Trump and you don't have, well, you have people standing up to him. That's the thing. There are people standing up to him, but their, their protests don't really amount to anything, right? Um, the, I guess essentially the office of the presidency has accumula- accumulated so much power uh, where, Even legislators in their own party can't stand up to them almost. Um, And specifically, the Republican Party is really good with this, right? Um, So what needs to change? That's a very hard question to answer, I would say. But I think some basic steps to maybe preventing uh, these scandals from going unnoticed include um, spending more money on good journalism so, hiring really good investigative journalists, information journalists, um, just kind of rebooting the press industry and the media industry in the United States. Of course, you know, print media, um, it, it's essentially dead, right? Uh, so everything's online now. But, uh, you know, really creating a, a, ro- a robust uh, media and reliable press industry in the US. And then, in terms of institutions, um, I mean, I don't have much hope for the actual government institutions in the U.S., so I don't really know <laughs> if I can recommend any changes. But, I mean, Americans, you know, they, when they're voting, just keeping in mind that they're voting for people who are willing to go against their own party sometimes um, if they have, like, moral justification. But, I mean, I'm kind of I'm I, kind of asking that question, too.
1: I guess just to follow up, so um, what are your thoughts about um, say mainstream media, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, uh, compared to independent media, perhaps somewhere on YouTube. I don't know the Young Turks or um, close affiliates or some perhaps conservative independent media as well. There seems to be a lot of traction for the youth for this this other YouTube route, where people seem to be more have more confidence than compared to either Fox News, which has its issues and then in, in an interesting way CNN, although differently as well
2: right so yeah i think a large part of you know that shift in young people watching you know youtube or listening to different podcasts and stuff to get their news i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that maybe they weren't really raised on you know reading you know print newspapers um uh, or reading long form journalism. So having, you know, these informative, um, you know, shorter videos and audio clips, you know, that might be more convenient for them or easier to digest. But then also, and the larger issue is the media has lied to them, right? Mainstream media has lied. Um, I think, you know, people at least, um, who are in their twenties and thirties now, you know, we grew up during the Iraq war, right? And, I, I know, for, at least for myself, uh, Iraq, I, I felt personally, you know, like the U.S. shouldn't be in Iraq. They should not have gone there in the first place. And I felt, you know, a lot of young people maybe felt like that, but they were hearing something completely different on the news, right? You were watching shows like Meet the Press and different things like that on. And you had, uh, you know, government officials going on telling you why they should be in Iraq, why they were going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I felt a lot of people, you know, probably felt betrayed by the mainstream media. And so, you know, they're turning to alternative websites um, or alternative news sources uh, that also happened to be maybe more entertaining. Right.
0: (laughs) So, so, um, you know, what you had said just prior was, uh, you know, there's what set us up for this, um, you know, kind of what's going on at the moment is uh, is, this, uh, you know, brewing of scandals kind of becoming a normal thing starting in the 90s with a clinton actually a democratic uh president in the states and um and then they're just getting you know more and more frequent until like i remember earlier on in the trump presidency uh, there was discussion about scandal fatigue it was like we can't we can't uh emotionally process how many scandals there are because there's just a new one every week and then an added layer that you just mentioned is like you know um, how that, how those scandals are portrayed to us, and how the news is portrayed to us in general, is you know, I mean, there's kind of a lack in trust now, and this is why I think you're, you you keep talking about how we need better journalism because th- there's this issue where people are like, wh- wh- why is it that people are looking at quote unquote mainstream media and saying that I don't trust them, uh, and and delving into these other options like Yusuf had had mentioned. So um, it occurs to me that you know just like you'd said, print media is, is practically dead. Uh, is this, uh, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that print media is dead and we're having this like kind of crisis of, of like, um, not, not trusting media. Uh, how does, um, how does all the new, how does news being, you know, online mostly affect our ability to, you know, digest scandals and digest the news in general and, you know, understand what's going on with the craziness in uh, American uh, politics and and Trump.
2: Right. So, I think a large part of um people getting most of their news online, you know, a, a, a big I guess problem with that is that it's hard for people to tell uh what it I guess if what they're reading is true mm-hmm. or just recognizing not even just truth but just uh Recognizing, you know, why some media outlets are uh, portraying certain narratives a certain way, or even focusing on certain narratives. Um, I actually am a teaching assistant for an American Studies class right now, and in the very first class, I asked the students, you know, where where are you getting your news from? And a lot of them were saying TikTok, which I had even really heard of. TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and I was like, oh, well, what media outlets? do you follow on these sites? Like, do you follow the Washington Post, the New York Times? And they were like, oh no, like you just check to see what's trending almost and then just go from there kind of thing. So that was pretty alarming to me. Uh, people don't really have like certain news sources that they keep going to, you know, they're just reading a bunch of different things and that's information overload, right? Um, so I think that's a really big problem that we need to face and, you know, maybe improving, you know, media literacy in schools, right? So teaching uh, young people how to effectively, you know, read the news, um, find sources that are reliable, but you can also, you know, recognize the biases in these, in -hmm. the different perspectives, and then, you know, reading different sources and kind of formulating your own understanding of these events.
1: Right. And I mean, the other side of the problem is that you might have families or Uh, adults who are very busy. They're sometimes maybe referred to as the low-information voters, Uh, but that's because they have maybe two or three jobs, oftentimes, or extremely busy with their family. So at best, they get to put on, you know, nine o'clock news or something like that and just listen to what some commentators are saying if they're conservative, probably Fox News, otherwise CNN, and they have their own biases. And sometimes it's so hard to recognize that these narratives just that their narratives and we have to be a lot careful especially knowing the history of what has happened as you pointed out any thoughts about how this particular angle could also be improved and bridge the gap between young people and adults
2: well you know in particular when you discuss adults you know who might be too busy to you know really keep up with the news i mean that's understandable right um when your material needs aren't being met, right, you, you have to work so many jobs, um, you're dealing with a pandemic, you're dealing with child care, different things like that, economic issues. Um, yeah, maybe at the end of the day, you know, you do just want to turn on one thing just to get all your news right. And it might be harder to process that. And I don't know if we can necessarily, you know, put all the blame on these people. I don't think we should really be putting that much blame on people for doing that. You know, that's the government's fault that people are In these circumstances to begin with, they're going to watch the news at the end of the day and then see, you know, this uh, millionaire president, you know, who has all these different scandals Mm -hmm. and they'll think, oh, yeah, that's bad on some level. But how is it going to affect their everyday life? Right. Um, And then, yeah, so bridging that gap with young people, young people, I think, are feeling that, too, right? They're inundated with all these different terrible things happening in the world. And I mean, most of this coverage is focused on the U.S., And, you know, they're upset about it. They want to do something about it. But then also their everyday lives might not necessarily be impacted by some of these scandals. So I guess some of the scandals that are really portrayed in the news, you know, like Trump paying off porn stars and different things like that. Of course, they're they should be reported on. But I think what a lot of people want to hear is news um, about different things that directly impact their lives. Right. Um, I think that would be useful, but that's not what gets covered at all in the news in the states, in the mainstream media. So, mm-hmm. for bridging that gap, I would say people need to demand from these media companies that they that they cover more than just Russian interference in the 2016 election. Right yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, well, uh, you know, we're, I'd like to maybe get your opinion on what's going to happen uh, in the coming weeks. Um it, it, we're now in mid-December and you know, next month, um presumably uh we're gonna have President Joe Biden in the States. Um and presumably um President Trump is gonna continue to, you know, like Youssef said, put out his narrative, which is this election is completely completely fraud and it's complete nonsense and and uh, you know that seems to be echoed by his his most uh strong supporters his strongest supporters basically uh, just say yes yeah this election was just not not re- not a real election it didn't didn't happen or or it was uh, it was it's was completely fraudulent um what what do you think is going to go on with this are we going to go in the direction you're saying we should um and and change things for the better in terms of um pr- uh, media and the relationship with with the presidency or mm. is this going to get worse What what's going on in next month <laughs>
2: Um, I expect it will get worse. Um, not necessarily because of Donald Trump. I just think Joe Biden, you know, has the same attitude towards media that President Obama did, it sounds like. And so I'm really concerned with, um, the way he's going to deal with whistleblowers in particular. Um, I'm kind of hoping with President Trump right now, right? He's finishing out his term in office and, you know, I'm hoping that he, you know, grants come and see our pardon to people like Julian Assange or Edward Snowden. So that's what I've been kind of hoping for. So I think Joe Biden, if he really wants to restore a lot of people's faith, um, you know, in the freedom of the press and the first amendment rights, you know, he would do something like that if Trump doesn't. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the press in the presidency, that relationship, I don't have a lot of hope for it right now, unless something big like that happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, I quite agree with you, Danielle. I mean, I guess I mean I also want that as well, but I believe Joe Biden and he says nothing will fundamentally change. Um mm-hmm. he is honest in that way and that is unfortunate, but we can't help but hope that through all of this mess some other goods come out and maybe I mean twenty twenty four is gonna be a bloodbath. We've got a demagogue Donald Trump with, with all his minions <laughs> behind him it's going to be extremely hard to get rid of this monster i mean in, in, in the sense that i'm saying he's very powerful and has quite a bit of a sway over people mm-hmm. um yeah what are your thoughts of 2024 maybe i'm going way ahead
2: <laughs> that's okay i think about it too i mean they basically start campaigning like Right when Joe Biden gets inaugurated for twenty twenty four, maybe
1: he announces and said in the inauguration that I'm running for twenty twenty (laughs) four. Yeah, I wouldn't
2: wouldn't be surprised. Um, My predictions for twenty twenty four. I think we're gonna see a resurgence in this right wing populism Mm -hmm. because I don't, like you said, I don't think things will fundamentally change for Americans in their everyday lives uh, while Joe Biden is president. I think some. Good things could happen you know uh with response to the pandemic but other than that i i think people are still going to be really angry um so i i do see you know right wing populism maybe even growing stronger in the us uh i've heard rumors that tom cotton might be running uh for the republicans you know. Uh, in 2024. So that's or Tucker Carlson. Yeah, or Tucker Carlson something like that. <laughs> um and then on the left in this in the States, you know, we're still going to have this uh battle between Bernie Sanders supporters, mm-hmm. yeah, progressives and I guess the establishment center swing of the party, which I mean I unfortunately it looks like Bernie Sanders movement, you know, they really have uh been crushed in, institutionally by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But I, I was disappointed with that too, right? Because Bernie Sanders looked like he was going to have a better relationship with the press and whistleblowers than any president before him, really. So we'll see. Oh. I don't. I'm, maybe Kamala Harris will be running in twenty twenty
0: four. Okay. Well, I guess there's a lot for us to think about in the next four years, and you know, potentially we can have you on to, to you know, debrief and see see where this went, um, assuming there's no civil war in the next month, right? <laughs> Uh, what well, doesn't sound like any of us really think that's going to happen, but um, we'll see what happens. Uh, when, when, you know, we're not particularly hopeful, but I think there's a lot for us to think about. And uh, mm-hmm. I really, I think I want to. I'd be really interested in talking uh, more about um, whistleblowers as well, in particular, and that that relates to the scandal in the past that you'd studied before and and your current work work now. Um, but uh, we're just about out of time here, so um, if anyone wants to uh, follow up with you elsewhere on the internet Um, is there anyone anywhere you can point them to
2: yeah so I am active on the Twitter so my handle on Twitter is at my name is j-o-n-p-1 so at my name is john p1 and then I'd also recommend uh, that people follow Daniel Ellsberg on Twitter the man that I'm focusing a lot of my research on. So his name is at Daniel Ellsberg. Um, But he tweets a lot um, about different developments with whistleblowing in the United States.
0: Excellent. Okay, great. Well, uh, it was uh, great speaking with you. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you.
2: Oh yeah. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: And uh, this has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Ariel Frame, and my co host was Yusuf. Uh, we've been speaking with Danielle McLennan, uh, Masters in History in the History Department. Um, and this episode was produced by Laura Minos. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at gradcastradio to listen to us. On the radio, uh, we're on 94.9 FM, Radio Western. Uh, you can also find our episodes all archived uh, at our website, gradcast.ca, and on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are available. Um, select episodes are available also in, u- in uh, video format on YouTube, also at Gradcast Radio. And we'd be happy for you to take a look at them there as well. Thank you very much for listening and have a great night.